The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. Good morning. So last week I talked about what I called the cycle of reactivity, which is um, kind of a perhaps more understandable term for the teaching of dependent origination that the Buddha offered as a... um, He called it his middle teaching, um, which is that it, it... He called it his middle teaching in that we tend to think about things as either existing or as not existing. That things are either present or they're not here. And he said that in his understanding that, that, that things come into being out of causes and conditions and they fall apart when those conditions are not there. In particular, our suffering comes into being out of causes and conditions and falls apart when those conditions are not there. So this cycle of dependent origination is describing how suffering comes into being. So I want to just recap a little bit about what this teaching is, but today I'd like to really talk about how we can use this understanding in our practice. It's not simply uh, a nice idea, it's actually really helpful for us. So the, uh, the teaching of dependent origination is a, it's a chain or a cycle of experiences that lead from one to another in, 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 in conditionality. They cause. One causes the next, causes the next, causes the next. So I'll just state the, the, um, the links and then just briefly recap that since I talked about this in, in more detail last week and I want to talk more about how we use it this week. So the 12 links are, uh, they start with ignorance. Basically, because of ignorance and the fundamental ignorance that the Buddha pointed to is the ignorance um, that we don't understand the Four Noble Truths. We don't understand how suffering is created in our lives, what suffering is. We don't understand the cause of suffering. We don't understand that it's possible to be free from that suffering, and we don't understand how we can become free of it. It just doesn't really seem to to enter our minds. In, In this ignorance, we don't have the capacity to see how we can free ourselves from our the ways that we struggle, the ways that we suffer. So that's ignorance. Um, this ignorance con- um, conditions how our minds work, conditions um, what are called mental formations. So these these mental formations, how we how we choose to do what we do, how we. Uh, engage with the world. This is conditioned by our, our ignorance. So we choose to, I mean, one of the main choices we tend to make out of this ignorance is that we choose to try to get what we like. If there's something pleasant out there, we try to get what we like. We try to get more of that, thinking that that will make us happy. That our basic ignorance of what will make us happy, we, we just uh, misunderstand what will make us happy. So we think that getting what we want, getting rid of what we don't want, that is what will make us happy. If we can configure our world to be the way that we like it, 
then we'll be happy. And what we see, you know, is that actually that makes us happy perhaps for a little while, and then it falls apart. The conditions of the world keep changing. And so in order to keep trying to be happy, we have to keep rearranging things. Rearranging and rearranging and rearranging. We exhaust ourselves kind of rearranging. But we think, we think that that kind of happiness of the having what we want and arranging our world, that's as good as it gets. So we think that's what we need to do. And so that's our actions, our, our, our choices. This mental formations refers a lot to the choices that we make. So the choices that we make out of this ignorance are the choices to have more of what we want, get rid of what we don't want. This in turn conditions our, what the next link in the chain is consciousness. And as I talked about this last week, um, essentially based on our ignorance and our uh, ideas about what will make us happy, we, we um, take certain things in and we don't take other things in. We get a kind of a tunnel vision, essentially, that... Um, based on our proclivities of mind, we see certain things, we don't see other things. We experience certain things, we don't experience other things. I talked about, for those of you who are here, I talked about that study about the gorilla and the basketball court where people who were having an agenda of observing something on the basketball court of seeing how many times uh, a ball was passed between members on the team. With that agenda in mind, they simply did not see a gorilla running around, uh, a man in a gorilla suit running around on on the basketball court. So this is the way, and this kind of thing actually happens to us a lot, that we, because of our views, our opinions, our ideas, our agendas, which is the ignorance in the mental formations. We see certain things, we don't see other things. Certain things become conscious to us, other things don't become conscious. So this is this link of consciousness. And then our consciousness in turn conditions uh, what is called um, nama rupa, mind and body. Um, Processes of mind, processes of body. All of our... um, choices, our ideas, our actions, you know, so for instance, just a simple example, um, if, if our mind is conditioned by a, um, a flavoring of anger, for instance, then our body will tend to uh, be conditioned by that anger. Our body will tend to have tightness, contraction, tension, uh, our face might get contorted, So our body will be conditioned by that anger. Our mind will also be conditioned by that anger. Because of that anger, we we will choose certain um, things to say, certain things to do, certain ways to act. The ways we take information in will again be conditioned by that anger. So the way our consciousness is conditioned by this ignorance, conditioned by mental formations, is then in turn influencing our mind and body. The mind and body then influences... um, These links get a little bit obscure, and I'm I'm just going to brush over them quickly because I talked more about them last week. Um, 
conditions our sense bases. So how our mind and body is conditions the seeing, the smelling, the hearing, the tasting, the, the contact of the body and the mind. So that then, having the, um, the mind and the body, we now receive things from the world. We receive sights, sounds, smells, taste, touch. This is, this is the link called contact. From contact, we, we have our, sense, our senses are engaged. And with this engagement of the senses, we experience feeling. Things are pleasant, unpleasant, or neither pleasant nor unpleasant. They're neutral. Based on that feeling, and this is a really important link in this cycle, based on that feeling, we tend to, as I said earlier, because of this ignorance, we tend to um, like the pleasant and want to get more of it, not like the unpleasant want to get rid of it. And so this link between feeling and craving craving, the wanting, essentially. Wanting to have more pleasant, wanting to get rid of the unpleasant, not really connecting to or spacing out around the, uh, the neutral. So that feeling tone, because of this ignorance that's conditioning our minds, is tending for us to get what we want, get rid of what we don't want, based on that feeling. We don't really notice the feeling so much. We kind of automatically react to it almost in a uh, kind of a subconscious way, a very, um, it's very natural actually, based on this misunderstanding, to move towards to have more of what's pleasant and get rid of uh, what, what is unpleasant. So based on that feeling tone, the feeling of pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral, this craving or wanting arises wanting to have things, wanting to get rid of things. And then um, the next link in the chain is clinging, that based on that craving, we want to have the thing or get rid of it. So we, we actually do something. So we, the, the, the one analogy that's used is um, that craving is like the, the thief in a house who's like looking around to see what he wants to take, to take. So the, the craving is like that, that reaching out, the, wa- the, the wanting, the craving is reaching out to take something. And then the clinging is the actual taking of it. So that the, the wanting is, um, is kind of the movement of mind. The clinging is, the, is that actually doing something. We take some action to have it, to get rid of it. Based on that clinging, then, there is this sense of, okay, I have this now, or this is mine. This is where it moves into what's called becoming. Essentially a kind of identification. So having had something, gotten something, we identify with it either as me or as mine, as something that I need to have for my happiness. So it becomes mine or it becomes me. I need to be this person for my happiness. So we sometimes, we, we 
this example, um, you know, craving, clinging, feeling, craving, clinging, can be understood from uh, the perspective of objects in the world. And that's an easy way to kind of understand it. You know, this is, this is my glass right now. If one of you came up and took it away, I would want another one. So, you know, so, so these are objects. So we can want objects and feel happy or not based on objects in the world, material objects. But a large part of our suffering actually comes from our sense of who we are, our identification with an idea about who we are. I am the person who can control things. I am the person who, um, who knows things or understands things. It might be simpler, um, you know, I am the person who, um, who likes to, to walk in the woods. I'm the person who, um, who likes to read Dharma books. So we have, we have the, um, the idea that comes up. In this case, what's coming up is not a material object, but something in our minds. It's an idea of what we need to be or do in order to be happy. So being in control is something that most of us have a sense of needing in order to be happy. So many of us identify around that in particular. So needing to be in control. I'm the one that that needs to be in control of my life. So having that idea, we, um, we then begin to act in ways that will support that support that um, identity. So in terms of, um, you know, like the glass, for example, you know, if we have an an identity that the glass is mine, then we may decide to protect it, defend it somehow, you know, it's like, you know, keep it, keep it close so that nobody can reach up and take it or, or, you know, keep our houses Locked. I mean, we want to keep our cars safe, our houses locked. I mean, we, we protect our, our things. So this is, this is in the realm of the mind. For our, um, for our uh, identities, let's see if I can think of, an, of a... I had an example, let's see. I can find it. So, um, so let's say um, we have an idea that being successful is what will make us happy. And whatever successful way me- means to you. It's um, success of being a good meditator or success in your business or something. So, so this idea, I, I need to be successful. So this leads to, so in this chain, there's this contact with this idea I need to be successful. So this, um, this then will perhaps produce an idea. The idea of being successful is seen in our minds. So that's kind of a, that's in the mind door. So that's um, a fantasy kind of of what it's like to be successful, of what it's like to have that success. So that, it, that then is, is what we are contacting. And it has a feeling tone. 
It feels pleasant to imagine that we're successful. And then there's a, a wish for that that, that uh, thing to become reality. That's the wanting. It's like, okay, so there's that idea. I want that to be reality. And then we uh, start acting. We, uh, the clinging, so here in this sense, the clinging is, um, so there's the idea, there's the wanting of it. The clinging has to do kind of with the belief. The belief of the necessity of the importance of that in order for happiness to be there. So the, cl- the craving to clinging is, it's kind of a gradation here. You know, as, as in the example of reaching out, you know, it's a gradation of the reaching out and the grasping. In, in terms of ideas, it's a gradation from uh, the sense of, oh, I want that to I need that. So that's the kind of distinction between craving and clinging in terms of ideas. I want that versus I need that then given that need, that, um, that sense of that's important, that being successful is important, then the, uh, the identification is kind of all of the intentions and actions that rally in the service of that need. It's like, okay, here's how I have to act, here's how I have to behave, here's what I need to do in order to have that become reality. So that essentially all of our um, behaviors come into line with that. And this is the becoming. This is the sense of real identification. So I want it, I need it. And, and then the, the um, kind of congealing around the doing of getting that thing or, or uh, keeping that perpetuated. So then from there, there is the sense of or the potential for becoming or or being the thing that we uh, are identified around. So all of these actions have come together. It's like, okay, yep, this is what I need to do. Here's how I need to act. This is, you know, here's all the things I need to to do in order to, to be successful. So be engaging in those actions will produce some kind of state. Either we are successful or we're not successful. Let's make it simple. It's one of those two. <laughs> so if we're successful, there's a sense of, of, of essentially birth into that experience. I am successful. The becoming is kind of the moving towards. It's like, oh yeah, here's how I do it. And it's like, oh, here I am. I am successful. If we have that kind of a birth into that, ooh, I am successful, then because of the way things are, there will be a kind of a decay and uh, falling apart of the conditions that led to that moment of feeling successful. And so in that falling apart, we feel a suffering. It's like, oh, Okay, well, for that moment, I really felt like I had it. What do I need to do now? And so we're back on this cycle of how can I, what's the next thing? A new image pops into our mind of how we can be successful, and we engage in that, and maybe we find that, uh, that moment of success again, which is, again, followed by a kind of a disintegration of that state, because our states 
are so conditioned on whatever's happening in the world, on our minds and bodies. So we don't have a lot of control over the fact that whatever we are kind of born into, this identity we are born into, falls apart. So there's that birth into success, which is followed by the decay of that success, leading to suffering, leading to ignorance, which is, oh, I need to get more of that. Now that, that state also, I mean, those, those, those actions to produce that desired result of being successful might also result in not having it work because there's so many conditions out in the world that we don't have control over. You know, our, our boss doesn't like what we do or whatever. I mean, in, in terms of, you know, like being a good meditator, our minds are, you know, just so uncontrollable that, you know, sometimes the conditions come together such that we seem to be able to meditate. It's like, oh, I figured it out. We feel, oh, success. Other times it's like I have absolutely no control over my mind whatsoever. I'm complete failure as a meditator. I can't I can't get, you know, two breaths consecutively. I can't be attentive to them. My mind just keeps wandering off. So we have a sense of of not being successful based on various conditions. If we if we have this sense of needing to have that success to be happy, the birth into being a failure will be felt as suffering immediately. So no matter what the outcome is of whether we succeed or fail, there is this... uh, If we have that sense that it's necessary to succeed, which comes from that notion of the clinging back all the way from the uh, ignorance, if we have that notion that it's necessary, we will suffer whether we succeed or fail. So that's kind of going through all the links. Now I'll just state them um, kind of independently without elaboration. So there's ignorance, conditioning mental formations, which conditions how our consciousness is, which conditions our mind and body, which conditions the six, six sense bases, which conditions contact, which conditions feeling, pleasant, unpleasant, neutral, which conditions craving or wanting, which conditions clinging, which conditions becoming, which conditions birth, which is this birth into an identity, with which conditions uh, aging and death is what it's called in the link. Basically, that when something has been come into being like that, it will disintegrate at some point. Conditions have brought it together, it will fall apart. So those are the, those are the links of this cycle. And we live in this cycle, actually, much of our lives in, uh, because of this misunderstanding, because of this fundamental misunderstanding of where happiness lies, we continue our, continue in this cycle thinking, oh, just get more of that, get rid of that. I need to do this to be successful. I need to do this to be in control. I need to do this to be happy. Oh, I'm not happy. How can I change that? So we live our lives much of the time in this cycle. So 
Is there hope? <laughs> it doesn't sound very hopeful. <laughs> you know, okay, this leads to this, leads to this, leads to this. But there is hope, actually. The Buddha, the Buddha said that um, actually there's different ways to look at this cycle. He, he, he talked about these things as being they're conditions that lead from one to the next, but they are not um, inevitable conditions. We can change the conditions. By changing the conditions, we can change the outcome. So there's different ways to change the conditions. The first, the first one that I want to talk about um, just briefly is that um, since in this, uh, this, is, this discussion of dependent origination that I'm talking about is um, under the heading of right view, because I've been talking about the uh, Four Noble Truths and the Eightfold Path in the past six months or so. <laughs> so talking about the, uh, the Eightfold Path, the right view, right, um, uh, right thought, right speech, right action, right livelihood, right effort, right mindfulness, right concentration, being the factors of the Eightfold Path, where right view is kind of the, the, kind of the thing that orients us in the right direction. And so the Buddha talked about this teaching being a kind of a reframing of our, of our understanding. If we can begin to understand that this is how we're caught in this cycle, then we can begin to understand how to get uncaught by this cycle. And so he talked about in one of his um, discourses on right view, one of the ways he talked about right view, and he talked about it in many ways, this is a very long discourse, he has, somebody keeps asking him, so is there another way to understand right view? And he said, yes, here's another way. Well, is there another way? Oh, yes, here's another way. So he keeps going, you know, so he, talking many, many ways to understand right view. And 12 of them, have to do with dependent origination. He says that you can be aware of what's happening for you at any point in this cycle. So this is, this is part of the good news, that in the um, exploration of our minds, if we're in a state of suffering, we're somewhere in this chain, we're somewhere in this cycle. You know, probably we're in the, the cycle, the part of the cycle where we're experiencing something, some kind of contact, we're feeling something, we're starting to want it, and cling to it, identify around it. We're probably in that realm. We could be caught in the ignorance, we could be um, caught in the, uh, you know, caught in that tunnel vision that I talked about. But he said, anywhere you are in that cycle, which basically means any experience that you're having while suffering is present, you can pay attention to that. And so he, he, he said for every single one of these links, and I'll read a little bit about what he said, I'll pick one. I'll pick um, craving, wanting. And so here are his instructions. When one understands craving the origin of craving, the cessation of craving, and the way leading to the cessation of craving. In that way, one is of right view and has arrived at the true Dhamma. So that, uh, and then he, he actually goes on to say, 
when one has understood craving, the origin of craving, the cessation of craving, and the way leading to the cessation of craving, one here and now makes an end of suffering. So this is not just the kind of intellectual understanding that he's talking about here. He's talking about a very deep understanding based on direct moment experience. And so this, um, this pattern is applied to all of the links. Does this pattern sound familiar? Understand craving, understand the origin of craving, understand the cessation of craving, understand the path, the way leading to the ending of craving. What is that pattern? Four Noble Truths. So basically he's applying the Four Noble Truths not as an idea, but as, a pra- as practices on every single one of these links. He says, use the Four Noble Truths in understanding your experience wherever you are in this chain. And this can lead you to freedom from suffering. So wanting, understand wanting. Understand the origin of wanting. And here he points to what's the origin of wanting? Feeling is the origin of wanting. Feeling is the cause leading to wanting. So we understand that feeling, pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral, leads us into this wanting. So seeing that cause and, cause and effect link is part of the importance of this, um, this teaching, essentially, of this, uh, that in our exploration of experience, as we begin to see that things are conditioned, oh, this wanting comes into being based on the, th- the fact that this is pleasant. As we understand that, we begin to see, oh, this is kind of an unfolding here. It's not so solid. It's not so... um, It's not the way I thought it was. So we see that if that thing hadn't been there, you know, if the glass isn't there, I'm not... I I may not be wanting it. I may have an idea in my mind, oh, I want some water, in which case the idea is creating this... um, the moving forward in this cycle. So the um, exploration of any place in this, wherever you are in your experience, we can look at it, understand it. What's happening for you? Understand, understand it, turn towards it. Turn towards the experience of wanting turn towards the experience of an identity. What does it feel like to be a human being that has this sense of me, mine? What does that feel like? Turn towards the experience of feeling. Whatever you're experiencing, turn towards it. Understand it from this perspective of mindfully understand it. Look at how it's created conditionally. Everything in our experience is coming into being out of conditions and falling apart out of conditions so understanding how they come how things come to be how they fall apart and then understanding how uh, we can what are the tools that support this the tools of wise effort wise mindfulness wise concentration so bringing these to bear on all of our experience this is the buddha says this is this is right view this this will support us So primarily he's saying turn towards experience and look at your mind to see that as you're observing your experience it's not uh, 
got some of these, you know, ignorance in the background, you know, as we've seen through this cycle, if there's any kind of ignorance or view in the background, it will color how we're observing our experience. And so that's something we need to kind of successively um, observe, you know, check in. Is there a kind of greed or aversion in my mind as I'm observing this experience? Oh, I... Yeah, I'm noticing this anger, and I really hate this anger. I want to get rid of it. I'll be mindful of it. Maybe if I'm mindful of it, it'll go away. That has that flavor of aversion to it. So that's bringing in this misunderstanding of where happiness lies into how we're being mindful. So we need to keep looking back into our minds. How am I relating to what I'm observing? We can't strip out the ignorance all at once. But it does seem to kind of come off in layers. You know, that certain kinds, I think I talked about this last week, certain kinds of um, uh, ignorances and sufferings are more obvious to us. And, you know, we can, we can notice that. Oh, yeah, I'm angry. And I don't like this. In fact, I really want to get rid of this. That's kind of obvious. And so we begin to see that, that may fall apart. And then there's some subtler kinds of ignorance underneath that begins to be clear. Suffering is our guide in terms of looking at this ignorance. That uh, we can explore. If we're willing to look at our suffering and to... Um, Really be honest. Okay, this is, this is where I'm feeling stress. What is that stress? How is that stress coming to be? How is it falling apart? If we're willing to really look at that, that will be our guide. I think I, I talked about it being kind of like the thread that leads us back to um, the place where we begin to see clearly. We begin to understand the truth of of experience. We begin to understand that everything is impermanent. It's all created by causes and conditions. It's unreliable as a place for happiness. Anything, any experience in the world is unreliable. So that's one way that he talked about dependent origination in terms of exploring it in our experience. Then there are, co- yeah. Uh-huh. Does he apply that to the first step? He does, yeah. He says, that that it, every all the links. So I'll read you that one. He says, um, "When one understands ignorance, the origin of ignorance, the cessation of ignorance, and the way leading to the cessation of ignorance, in that way one is of right view and has arrived at this true dhamma. When one has thus understood ignorance, etc., he here and now makes an end to suffering." So every single one of those links he applies it to. So understanding ignorance, I mean, that's a, that can be a whole talk in itself. <laughs> uh, what does that mean to understand ignorance? Um, I'll just say a word there. And this is, um, um, you know, essentially ignorance is like a veil in front of our eyes. We don't, it's a view an incorrect view of reality that keeps us locked into this misunderstanding of how happiness can be found. Um, 
the Buddha I, uh, highlighted four ways in which we tend to fundamentally misunderstand reality. And these will also, three of them at least, will sound familiar. Um, we tend to take what is permanent, impermanent to be permanent. We tend to take what is um, unreliable as a lasting source of happiness to be reliable. We tend to take what is uh, not self to be self, to be me, mine. And we tend to take what is, what's, it's said, uh, unbeautiful as the translation, um, to be beautiful. Um, so this, this is kind of a misunderstanding about, um, like it kind of is in the terrain, um, somewhere between um, impermanent and uh, uh, unreliable. If we're taking things to be permanent and reliable, something permanent and reliable as a place of happiness, we, can t- we tend to attribute beauty to that. So that... Um, so that we tend to, um, you know, so that's, we think, okay, that's beautiful. And uh, the Buddha says, well, it, that, that we tend to attribute that beauty to things that are not beautiful. So that what we can begin to do is to kind of see, you know, with this understanding of these are ways that I, um, that we all, it's not just me, it's, it's, it's humanity, tends to miss. Uh, perceive the world from through these uh, views that we can start to check in you know am I taking this to be reliable am I taking this to be me or mine am I taking this to be permanent and you you find actually when you start to explore it's like you know even a simple thing like getting a piece of chocolate you know you take a piece of chocolate. You know that chocolate lasts, what, you know, 30 seconds in your mouth or something? But if you really look at your mind while you're having that chocolate, it is somehow imputing permanent happiness <laughs> to that experience. You know, it's like, oh, yes, this is, this is it. You know, if you really look at your mind, you'll see that, that there is that delusion in there. So we can begin to uncover where we're deluded by kind of knowing that these are the the ways that we tend to uh, delude ourselves. And I talk for whole talks on that topic, so it's a that's just a brief, <laughs> brief description. Um, so then there's other ways that we can also um, use this teaching. There are. You know, if you look at these links, you know, some of them, like, okay, mind and body, the sense bases, the contact, the feeling. We've got eyes. The fact that we have eyes and they're open means that they're seeing, so there's the contact with that sense base. And then it's pleasant, it's unpleasant, it's neutral. You know, the links there, link one to another, causes and effects, um, those happen really, really fast kind of hard to kind of break in there and say, you know, okay, well, if I didn't have an eye, then I wouldn't have feeling. Okay, well, we've got an eye, so. There are a few links. There's two main links in this chain where it's a little bit easier. There seems to be a little bit more space in the conditionality. Um, The link between aging and death and ignorance is one of them or suffering, essentially, and ignorance. Suffering tends to lead to ignorance. 
When we suffer, we tend to think, well, okay, you know, I'm suffering now, but how can I be happy? And I know that if I get rid of this suffering, then I'll be happy. So there's, again, there's that kind of cycle that we move from that, um, you know, the, our beliefs are at play in terms of how we respond to that suffering, which re-cements the ignorance. So the, um, the Buddha said that at that link, that suffering tends to lead to bewilderment, to ignorance, or it might lead to search. It might lead to uh, the sense of somebody, you know, is, and the, the phrase in the suttas is, is there a way or two that somebody knows out of this suffering? So I think a lot of us have that sense. You know, we, we meet suffering. You know, if we hit the sense of, I've tried everything. You know, I've tried everything that I can possibly think of. And life is just suffering. There's that sense of, oh, does somebody know how to, how to deal with that? So the understanding is that if you, in, the, in that recognition, so this is a kind of an understanding of suffering here. So there's a recognition of, okay, this is suffering. If you, in that recognition or meeting of suffering, then hear or have a read or have some information that's come to you about from somebody that you perhaps trust, say, this has worked for me. Why don't you try this? This was my experience. You know, I read a book. I had hit bottom. Somebody sent me a book. It's like, okay, my friend said this is helpful. Doesn't make any sense to me. Turn and pay attention to your anger. How is that going to help, you know? It's like, I've got nothing else to try. And it says it's helpful. Maybe I can try this. So this is where... Um, suffering can tend to take a different direction. It can lead to faith, to confidence, to a sense of trust that there is something that we can, a different way that we can engage. And that trust that um, leads on a different direction, the Buddha talks about a different cycle of dependent origination. It doesn't lead us through suffering over and over again, but it's called Transcendent Dependent Origination, which is a set of 12 steps that leads us step by step from suffering through faith, through, I'll read these, through gladness, rapture, tranquility, happiness, concentration, knowledge and vision, disenchantment, dispassion, and liberation. So that the same cause and effect links if it's given uh, wisdom as our direction it will lead us towards happiness and so this the, the work here then is to understand suffering again this is this is the for, this is the four noble truths understand suffering understand the cause of suffering understand the cessation of suffering understand the path leading to the cessation of suffering so that's another place to kind of lead us out of this cycle of reactivity. Wisdom applied to suffering can lead us out of this. The other main place 
that is talked about a lot, the Buddha talked about this a lot, um, is the link between feeling and craving. Um, this again, so this is a place where, again, the link between, oh, I like that, oh, you know, I, oh, that's pleasant, I like it, I want it, let me have it. It happens fast, you know, it, it does happen fast, but there's a little bit more space between feeling and craving than there is between some of the other links. It's a little bit more um, intentionality in there. And so we can, through the Buddha, really highlighted attending to feeling, attending to whether things are pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral. That as we um, explore our experience, we see that every single experience has this feeling tone. It does have this quality of being pleasant or unpleasant or neutral. We don't typically notice this. What we typically, we immediately will leap and and respond to, oh, I like that thing, I want it, let me get it, let me figure out how to have it. We move so quickly from that that we don't even notice that we've found it pleasant. So the, the Buddha really highlighted this feeling tone and said, see if you can take in this ever-changing a stream of feeling that's coming at us. He, he said that, that feeling is kind of like a bubble on the surface of, of wa- water on a rainy day. You know, when, when rain is uh, dropping on the water, little bubbles will appear and then they'll explode, and little bubbles will appear and then they'll explode. He said feeling is like that. It's really kind of ephemeral. It comes and it goes, it comes and it goes, it comes and it goes. Every moment of experience, feeling coming and going, a kind of the stream of pleasant, unpleasant, and neutral that we're not really connecting with or noticing. And um, we're instead responding and and reacting to it through this cycle. We're responding, oh, let me have more of that. Oh, I need that. Oh, this is important. Let me get rid of that. It's really important to have control and get rid of that thing. So we, uh, we react to this feeling tone. And the Buddha highlighted this feeling tone. He said, pay attention to this. Know when you're experiencing something pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral. In the knowing of that, in the simple knowing of that, we've inserted some mindfulness into the chain at that point. So we've, we've brought a little bit of uh, clear seeing into the chain and just being able to recognize, oh, pleasant, this is pleasant. Bringing that little bit of clear seeing into, the, into our experience at that moment begins to counteract our ignorance that's conditioning everything. It begins to counteract that immediate sense of, oh, this is pleasant. Oh, let me get it, let me have it, <laughs> let me control it, let me manipulate it. So it begins to counteract that. Uh, that little bit of mindfulness can begin to counteract that oh, that flood <laughs> of ignorance you know that the force of that ignorance so this is a really important um, place for us to pay attention Yeah, right there. Oh, could we use the mics?
recently had, well, one's not so recent, one is recent, experience where the feeling tones are actually mixed. So you meet somebody and uh, you start to talk and some of the feeling is very positive. And there's also some things, so I, I, I'm guessing, only guess, that many things, if not all things, are, it's not so clear. Well, if you think about it, you know, it's kind of like we're getting a lot of stimulation in a moment, right? We're seeing somebody, we're hearing them, we're seeing their face, we're hearing, you know, the words that they're saying, we're forming ideas about what the words they're saying. There's a lot of things coming at us at once. Every one of those things has a feeling tone to it. So it's not just, you know, seeing a person and talking to them has one feeling tone. There's a lot of stimulus coming in. Um, So, yes, in our kind of everyday experience, it does feel like there's a lot of different um, feeling tones coming at us. And so it's really important to recognize that and to see, you know, to begin to see which of these feeling tones, I mean, because some of them are kind of more neutral, right? We don't tend to react to some of them, but some of them, you know, we'll, we'll tend to act on, you know, oh, I like that thing that he said or she said, you know, that's, that's um, and then we see that we, we really kind of hook onto that piece of it or we don't like something, you know, do we tend to hook onto that piece of it? So beginning to see what is it that we respond to and react to, what aspects of this whole um, pastiche of feeling do we tend to hook onto and then respond to so you know this this can be a really interesting exploration um you know if you find yourself and often what we do is we find ourselves already reacting you know so that we're so we're in that craving and in that um clinging area but it can be interesting to kind of check in okay so i'm reacting I know that, according to this teaching, there's some feeling that's kind of underlying this reaction. What is it? You know, what am I actually reacting to here? This can be really interesting. I mean, I'll tell you a story from my own practice. I was on retreat doing this. um, And I saw, I was doing walking meditation, and I saw somebody came in and started walking really close to me. And... I got a a real aversive reaction to that. So I was like, okay, you know, there's some feeling, some unpleasant feeling underlying this aversive reaction. Where is it? And so I began exploring my experience. I looked through all of the sense doors, see if I could find where the unpleasantness was. So in the seeing, you know, so the person was, you know, walking. So in the seeing itself, you know, the person didn't look unpleasant. Uh, I saw something, you know, they were, doing, they were doing something a little bit odd in the way they were walking, you know. But, you know, the seeing itself was kind of neutral, you know, the seeing of this person. And the person didn't smell, so there wasn't anything in that sense door. And they weren't making any noises, so there wasn't anything in that sense door that, that I was responding to. Um, Checking through all the senses, it's like I ruled out the five physical senses. They weren't touching me, you know, okay? (laughs) So I ruled out the five physical senses. It's like, okay, there must be something going on in the mind. I had not seen anything particular in the mind. I mean, other than the, uh, the aversion, 
I mean, I, the, the aversion was clear, but I didn't see what was unpleasant in the mind that was triggering this. So, you know, I had, I had some sense of confidence. Okay, there's something unpleasant here. It's like, okay, it must be something in the mind. There must be some thought there. So I just kept doing the walking meditation and it's like, didn't particularly notice any thoughts much, you know. And, and at some point, a really clear thought appeared in my mind. And that thought was, he's weird. That thought... I didn't actually connect at that moment that that thought was unpleasant. But what, what um, I did see a little bit later was another thought that was, he's, he's in bare feet and it's freezing cold out. That was my justification for he's weird. And when I saw that piece, I think I, I, think I saw, oh, you know, this whole thing has been created out of thought. So looking back on it, what I see was the he's weird triggered some sense of fear, a subtle kind of fear, which was unpleasant. That is what set that whole aversion cycle into motion. So it's really interesting when we're experiencing a kind of a reactivity to check. I mean, if we're experiencing aversion, there's something unpleasant in our experience. Can you see what it actually is? What is it that you're actually reacting to? It may not be what you expect. It can be kind of surprising, actually. So, yes, there are many feeling tones in a moment. Many, many feeling tones in a moment. And you'll, you will probably react to some and not to others. And now it's time to stop. <laughs> so, um, I will be away for the next six weeks, I think. I'm going on my own retreat. I'm going to be... Um, going to the forest refuge and meditating for six weeks. So i um, very happy. I'm very happy to be doing that. <laughs> so uh, I have arranged for people to be coming here on Tuesday mornings. So there will, be, there will be people here on Tuesday mornings. So I will see you when I return. And I'll take up, I'll continue this. It's probably going to take me a year to get through the whole, <laughs> the whole Four Noble Truths, Eightfold Path. I'll just keep going. Yeah, Mary. Would you um, ask the people who speak, you bring wonderful people here. I miss you always, but really good stuff. To put the chairs like you have. I'll try to remember that, yeah, yeah. Because it does does make a nicer feeling, yeah. Okay, yeah, okay. Yeah, I'll try to remember that. (laughs) Thank you all.